Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Just pray a prayer of blessing over Sarah Jane. Lord, thank you for Sarah Jane and the preparation that she has had before you in seeking your face for us. By your spirit, strengthen her heart to say what you want us to hear. And open our ears, we pray, that we may be responsive servants of the living God. In the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It is lovely to be with you on this Harvest Sunday and uh, all the good things, to think of all the good things that God has given us. And I have to say, there is a lot going on, isn't there, in the world, but I'm just thinking about the Rugby World Cup and whether anybody has been watching Sue Perkins' program about Japan well, she goes to Tokyo, it's a high-tech city, and she notices that she feels, although it's, it's a city, she feels strange because things are a bit different. And she visits a trainee management school, which is just so alien to the way we would do things. I mean, they spend their town time shouting at each other. I mean, it would never even occur to us to run a course the way they do. And she says that understanding their culture is like trying to catch a whale with chopsticks. So culture is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, when we're in it, that is the way we see the world. So, and some things we do subconsciously without question, like how we greet one another, or what or what is not appropriate to say to one another. It can all be so nuanced to somebody coming in from outside our culture. But culture also changes as it is in Japan and here. I mean, I'm struggling to keep up with social media and my daughters. So Jesus, the man from heaven, 
He comes to earth and he shows us heaven's culture, how to think and act in his kingdom. So in our sermon series, we're going to consider each one of the the eight Beatitudes found in Matthew's gospel. So just a few words about them. So this is a block of teaching that came to be called the Beatitudes from the Latin beatus, which means happy. And that was coined when the Bibles were written in Latin. But, I mean, there is a debate about whether happy is a good translation. I mean, it is a bit odd to say you're happy when you're mourning. And happiness is a subjective thing. But blessed in the Old Testament usually means someone approved or favored by God. And that seems to make more sense. So Jesus, and Jesus is not just saying there are eight different types of people, some poor, some peacemakers. No, it's eight qualities of Christians who can be all these things depending on the circumstances. So this is what Jesus says his band of followers will look like and how they will will behave influenced by the culture of heaven. So the gifts of the Spirit are given to whoever God chooses, but these characteristics are the work of the Holy Spirit in all believers, just as the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in all believers. So it's a similar understanding with all the blessings too. So they're not different ones for different followers, but all the privileges for every Christian. So it doesn't mean that we have to go looking for things like persecution in order to get the blessings. Persecution will find us easily enough. But no, it's every Christian will inherit all the fullness of the kingdom of God. Now, we might look at this list of Beatitudes and think, well, there's a lot of works going on. Could anyone who is a peacemaker become a child of God? Or good people who suffer for standing up for human rights, will they enter the kingdom of heaven? And that is why this first beatitude is so important, because poor in spirit sets the spiritual dimension of this teaching. It's not that good people who have done good things enter heaven, but those who are poor in spirit. So I wonder what you think about when you hear the words poor in spirit. Maybe it's someone in poor health, or maybe someone not coping very well, or feeling that God is remote. I mean, you might feel poor in your spirit this morning. But what would the disciples have understood when they heard this? Well, in essence, it's Old Testament language describing godly people who are afflicted and unable to save themselves. So, in their humility, they cry out to God to save them. So David, in Psalm 70, he says, I am poor and needy. God, 
help me and deliver me. So this teaching then is God graciously promising his kingdom to people who know that they are so spiritually poor that they have nothing to offer and can do nothing about their situation. And John Calvin interpreted this to mean that it's only the person who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies solely on the mercy of God who is poor in spirit. Because God's gift of his kingdom is free and undeserved. So in Jesus' day, it wasn't the Pharisees who became Christians, although they thought they were rich in merit and they rather looked down on everybody else. And it wasn't the zealots who thought that might was always right, but it was the publicans and the prostitutes and that tax collector, the marginalized in society who knew they had nothing to offer but to cry to God in mercy, for mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So we can bring nothing because we have nothing that can earn our place before God because God is too holy for what we have. So what does poor in spirit mean for us today? We need to recognize our need for God, and that's why we come to Jesus and accept by faith what he says about his gift of rescue, what he did for us through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And But as we progress in our faith, we, we feel we're learning the ropes of Christian life, or we come to church, and we might get involved, we might pray. We sort of become familiar with church culture. And the temptation is that we might think that we start to know what we're doing. We're getting the hang of it. Maybe we don't need God so much. So when I took on this LLM training course, I thought that I should probably be able to do it because I have got a degree after all. And I really had to repent big time of that misplaced confidence because it is far better to rely on the Holy Spirit than my own efforts, I have to say. So we must never lose that recognition that we are poor in our own spirit. And we always will be. So being poor in spirit is actually the most desirable place to be in Jesus's culture. Well, we might object to this rather negative statement. We might want to say, well, I'm so blessed that I am rich in spirit. But the opposite of being poor in spirit isn't being rich in spirit. It's being proud. It's spiritual pride. So in Revelation 3, we read the Laodiceans. See, they thought they were rich. They prospered. They didn't need anything. They become complacent, full of spiritual pride, as if God had blessed them so much because they were doing so well. They'd been a bit distracted by worldly culture. 
So God sees them as wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. And God graciously calls them back to reliance only on him. And Jesus modeled this for us in the way that he lived. Paul tells us that Jesus, though he was rich in heaven, for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And in Philippians 2, that we looked over the summer, although Jesus was equal with God, yet he emptied himself. He became nothing. He humbled himself out of love for his father and for us. So he always put his heavenly father first in all his thoughts, his words, his actions. It would be an alien concept for him to do otherwise. Our culture is to put me first or quite near the top. Well, Jesus' way was to worship God and serve him only. So if we want to become more Christ-like in our discipleship, so we need to understand this culture of being poor in spirit. We have nothing to offer God, no merit in ourselves. It's only a response to all that God has freely given us to make us right with him through Jesus. There is no other way and this should never change. So it's not so much doing good things, but being in a state of a right relationship with God, which he so amazingly enables us to do. And so remember that there is nothing we can do that will make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do that will make God love us less. This is grace. And in our culture, we think exactly the opposite. And please don't think that you aren't good enough for God. That is a cultural lie. And it's a false humility. None of us are good enough. But Jesus has done more than enough for every one of us to enable us to enter into heaven. So this is what we're promised, the kingdom of God. So this is a concept that has unfolded throughout the Bible, but has basically been described as God's people in God's place under God's rule. So Jesus comes to establish this kingdom of heaven through his offering of himself. And we do get a taste for it in this life, don't we? Jesus comforts us. He shows us mercy. And we see God through Jesus. But we only see this in part. Our hope is that we will fully inherit the kingdom, this new heaven and this new earth, and live without sin. That is what's promised. It is incredible to think. And so the poorer we are in our spirit, the more room there is for the grace of God to fill our hearts and our lives with his Holy Spirit. And strangely, that will make us more human 
because it's nearer to how God envisaged us to be. So as it's our harvest festival, we're going to look at that parable of the rich fool. But first, uh, we got some music. much easier for the wealthy. They can buy the best land and then they use expensive fertilizer and then you have the best equipment and then you get the best yields. And so in our reading in Luke, the farmer, he's already had, he already has enough for his needs, but he just has a craving for more. He could have given his extra grain away, but he just loves his stuff he says, my crops and my barns and my surplus, it's all mine, and my future is secure. I can take life easy now. He felt so in control. And you might think he's being prudent, he's forward thinking, and there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. Why then is he called a fool? He has totally misjudged the priorities of his life. His possessions are a means of security, but he shows total disregard for God or anyone else. He is not poor in his spirit. He thinks he's rich. He doesn't need God because he can look after himself. But his possessions won't count for anything when he's dead. Before God, he is spiritually bankrupt. He's a fool. Jesus says you can be rich for yourself or rich towards God. So what does that look like? Well, the purpose of wealth can be found in its being shared. You need to be poor in spirit to be able to do that. In God's culture, we are stewards of God's gifts, so we should hold on lightly and not tightly. So whatever we have, God allows us to be generous and helpful to those in need. So as Felicity was telling us, it is Green Week in Winchester, which is being supported by our churches. And there is, do take there's some outside, there is a whole program of things going on um, and I don't know if you've seen the giant uh, bee that's on the cathedral. That's all part of um, the week. So we do live in an unequal world. I mean, people are exploited to having to work in, for a pittance in awful conditions so that we can have our cashew nuts, our coffee, our cheap clothing. Uh, but there is such a disconnect in the supply chain that we don't realize the harm we're doing. And maybe 
It's just a bit too uncomfortable to find out. And the world's systems at the moment do promote oppression of the poor and social injustice and greed. So maybe now is the time when God is asking us to change our culture, to embrace the problems of climate change and equalities by being part of the solution as creation carers. So, in the words of this, why don't this week we think, let's just make one change. Have a think about that. Be poor in spirit. I'll just end uh, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your offer that you offer us the gift of being in a right relationship with you that is free and undeserved. Please deliver us from our spiritual pride in wanting to earn this by merit and help us to be so distrusting of our own spirit that there is more room for you to bless us with your holy presence. And this is only possible through the work of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.